We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are stuck. I don't know. We're, we're stuck in the cold. Yes, that's right. It is actually still snowing in April of 2022, which is just weird here. It is third winter. Yeah, third winter, because it, it's turned to spring and then come back. It's the weirdest thing. Twice. Um, you know, where are the Starks when we need them? Uh, but with that said, uh, we have racing themselves. Somewhere. I know we have an amazing uh, interview on t- today's show uh, with author Brian McClellan. Uh, if you he's been on the show before, uh, we've talked to him about his Powder Mage series, but now we're talking to him about his new book, which is called. I'm going to hand it over to Krebs because he loves this title. I love this title. His brand new book is called In the Shadow of Lightning. Uh, it is fantastic. Uh, a fantastic title. I have not read the book yet. I'm looking forward to reading the book. But uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about In the Shadow of Lightning. So this is my uh, new epic fantasy. Um, I kind of started my career off. I, my whole career to date really has been the Powder Mage universe, which has got six books, six big novels and a whole bunch of novellas and short stories. Um, and, uh, and that wrapped up a couple of years ago. And since then I've been working on in the shadow of lightning, the new series, it's uh, book one of glass Immortals, um, brand new trilogy coming out from tour, uh, this summer in June. And, uh, it's basically, it's basically my evolution as an author. Um, it's going to be everything everybody liked about powder mage, uh, a bit more political intrigue. Uh, a little bit more depth, I, I like to think. Um, but uh, it's flintlock fantasy uh, set in a world uh, vaguely similar to our early 1800s, um, where magic is a uh, commodity. It is an industrial resource that is literally mined and made um, into pieces called god glass. Uh, these little pieces of god glass um, is made from cinder sand, uh, particular. Uh, type of material you could they literally dig up and um god glass basically augments the human body in different ways um you put it on it's got this little tiny vibration and depending on the pitch of the vibration um the resonance that you get from it changes your body in some ways um and so this is kind of the setting for this world in which um uh our hero our main hero there's several heroes as my books tend to have our main hero is a man named Demir Grappo, um, who uh, is a basically a failed child prodigy. Uh, he was everything to everyone for 20 years, and then his mind broke, and he basically ran away from all of his responsibilities uh, in from a powerful guild family, and uh, and just disappeared and became a drifter for nine years. And basically the first chapter of the book picks up with him finding out that his mother's been murdered and that he has to go home and take the mantle of being a guild family patriarch and find out why she was killed. Um, and, uh, and along the way realized very quickly, this is not a spoiler that the magic is running out. They're literally going to run out of magic and they have to do something about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so political machinations, big battles, badass characters, kind of, you know, all the cool epic fantasy stuff. I, I like the fact that you're also throwing in uh, a murder mystery in, in a way in this story that it goes through there. And the fact that I, one, you have a unique magic system. It's not traditional, but not only that it's dwindling why you know now there's this other mystery besides the murder to figure out of why is the magic running out what's going to happen i mean it's kind of you know modern day we're wondering you know are we going to have enough fossil fuels are we going to have enough of these resources you know that scarcity problem and you're, you're bringing it into this fantasy setting so that's pretty amazing yeah it was um it was one of those things that didn't didn't feel obvious to me even though that's it 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 seems obvious in retrospect um when i first pitched this world to my editor my editor basically came back to me and said yeah this is all very cool but what's your real hook like what's your thing that you're dragging the reader in with what's your big idea hook 
and uh and i like went back and forth with her for a couple of weeks about it like i don't really know maybe this and she's like eh, that's not very exciting maybe this that's not very exciting and she finally went look dummy the magic's running out you already set it all up like the the whole magic system is based on mining magic we know how you know like finite resources work in this world yeah. like this is something very understandable to the reader uh because initially this was going to be a thing that that showed up at the end of book one. This was going to be like the big reveal at the end of book one. And she just said, you know what? This That's not as fun. Um, throw it at the beginning. Don't leave it a mystery. This is what is getting, well, this is the hook into a magical world. Yeah, what I like about this is like, you know, it, there have been other stories where they're like, the magic is fading or, you know, there's some diminishment in the magic world. Right. But it usually has to do with belief, with um, maintenance. It usually has to do with like the existence of magical creatures. But in this case, like the concept is we're fracking the magic away. Right. Like that's that's kind of that that is a really cool, unique take. I don't think I've ever come across a book where they were mining magic. The magic was a not just a commodity, but almost like a currency. Can you tell us more about that? Well, it's very much a currency. Um, you know, like I, uh, I, I'm not sure how much of this made into the promo materials, but one of the promo stuff I sent my publisher was basically, look, this is this stuff. God glass makes the world turn. This is our oil or early 1800s coal, you know, like these things that like make this is what basically drives the entire economy. Everybody wants God glass. If you're going to, I'm, my characters are all kind of horrible people in different ways. So there's a Perfect. lot of bribery and corruption in this world. It's just in the world in general, but, but my characters participate in it. Um, if you're going to bribe someone, you're going to get further with giving them a piece of God glass than you would with giving them a handful of banknotes. Um, this is, this is a thing that is just so important and it's, I liked the idea of a magic that was both a currency, but also like accessible to everyone. It's controlled by the guild families. It's, you know, like obviously the very powerful people all have it themselves. Um, but if you're, even if you're very poor, if you're a teamster, then you need to get, then you will need forge glass to be able to carry large boxes. You know, it, it augments your strength. Um, if you're a soldier, you're probably issued forge glass in the army. If you're an officer or if you're a politician, you have wit glass. And it makes your brain move quicker, more just augments your thoughts. And uh, so you've got all these various things that basically they're not just um, they're not just pieces uh, that are part of the world, but also they can become very personal to individuals. And I really like that. No, that's, that's really amazing and awesome. Um, I keep coming back to this. I like the fact that magic is not this unlimited power, you know, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the genie says unlimited power, tiny living space, but <laughs> it's limited. And not only that, it's limited based on what you're using, you know, depending on the glass, it only gives you so much power. You, you don't have, you know, you can't be throwing fireballs and all these other crazy things. It just does specific things. Uh, and not only that, it, it's it's disappearing. And now we got to find out why. Um, that has, actually is a really cool tagline. We're fracking the magic out of it. Um, yeah, oh, it's it's uh, there's there's so many aspects to kind of how the magic interacts with the world that I just really enjoyed. Um, it was enjoyable to to write um, and kind of fiddle with and create and the kind of that there's one of the things I've never really played with in my books. Um, I tend to be very literal as a writer. Like I, I don't have a lot of magicalness in my books. You know, like I have magic, I have hard magic systems. I don't have a lot of kind of wondrous magic. That's yeah. not really a thing that I do. Um, and, and so I, I tend to go quite literal. Uh, and in this, it, uh, that kind of manifested itself in that God glass is actually made by these magical Silesiers called, um, these magical engineers that I call Silesiers. 
and uh, the uh, and one of the main characters is a Silicier, and that kind of let me dig into uh, well, which may be kind of boring to some people, but let me m- dig into kind of the economy of this world and the kind of the basics of a industrial magic system. Um, and if you have someone who's a genuine genius, they're really a very quality engineer, they can make you God glass that can change your life, that can do, that can regrow a limb, you know, things like that. Um, because God glass is, it's, it's got these levels. It's, you know, poor people can really only afford low resonance God glass. It'll make them able to carry a sack of flour easily, you know, things like that. Um, but if you give a high resonance piece of God glass to somebody who's an athlete or a soldier, they're going to, they're a one man army. Um, mm. And, uh, and, and it kind of applies to each of the different God glasses and how they affect people. Uh, but there's also a cost to it, um, both kind of physical, like money cost uh, because this stuff is produced, but also, um, but also I, I, I treated the resonance, the magic of resonance, a bit like, um, a bit like, uh, I guess, um, kind of uh, like nuclear fallout, like like poisoning, like you you poison yourself by having God glass close to you too much, and if you use it for too long, if you use a, a powerful piece for too long, if you, um, you're you're going to develop cancer. You're going to develop these legions. You get this. The first sign of it is something called glass rot, which are basically these very fine colored scales that grow on your skin and, and you can wipe them away. It's no big deal, but if you keep using and keep using, they become permanent and they start to stiffen your whole body and, and you become miserable and horrible and you die badly. Um, And so, you know, it's, it was, it's a fun magic system. I really enjoyed playing with it. Oh no. man, the, the fact you have consequences for using it, that's even more uh, amazing because again, magic is just like, oh, I have infinite power. But now you're like, hey, you can be a one-man army, but eventually you're going to start not being able to use your limbs because it's, yeah, uh, you know, you have consequences for what you're doing. That's That's great. Did you say that In the Shadow of Lightning was part of a trilogy? Did, did I hear that right? Yes, it is a trilogy. Now, is In the Shadow of, the, of Lightning the first book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally new universe, everything. So it's already a trilogy, which means, it, do you have your trilogy planned, at least in terms of, like, beats and overarching story? Yeah, yeah. I've got it, I've got it reasonably well kind of planned out. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm, I tend to kind of fiddle between kind of the pantser versus plotter thing. Um, but, uh, you know, when you sell a trilogy, they, they, they want something from you to show that you have ideas. So I've got at least that and quite a bit more, I think. Nice. And I'm, I'm working on the second book already, you know, I'm, I'm quite a ways into it. So, yeah. So do you find yourself really drawn to the Flintlock era? Cause Powder Mage was Flintlock. Now this is kind of Flintlock. Is that kind of what you really love? You know, it's it's a brand, right? Like, like in a way it's a brand for me because that's what I've done for the, you know, whatever nine years of my career so far. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I guess it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a decision that, that, that was wholly, um, cynical in that way. I really do enjoy the time period. I know more about the time period than I, because of doing all the work on Powder Mage. Yeah. Um, I know more about that time period than I do about other time periods. So I, um, so yeah, it's Flintlock. It, um, it, it's going to feel very Napoleonic in some ways, but I also really wanted to play with something a little different. Um, basically, I created a world in which the kind of the geopolitics is way more like ancient Rome. Really? If ancient Rome had become the empire that Britain turned out to be. Yeah. Um, so this is a country, it's an empire. It's the greatest empire in the world um, is where this happens. Um, it's essentially Rome slash the British empire. Um, and they are powerful and they are decadent and they are ruled by these massive guild families that with a, with a client system similar to the ancient 
Roman Republic, where everybody kind of, it's almost feudal in a way, it's almost gangster in a way, um, <laughs> where everybody kind of has someone that they report to, but then a bunch of people under them that report to them. And there's lots of money moving in every direction. Um, laws are very flexible. Uh, it's I, I wanted it to feel a little different than the world I created in Powder Mage. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, the politics are, I, I initially pitched this as a political thriller epic fantasy. And my, uh, my, uh, my agent told me to please don't do that. Um, so I'm, so this is, this is as much as I could squeeze into my normal stuff. So uh, I'm from you, as you're describing this, uh, it feels like, you know, it's very heavily, you know, romance, the romantic period, but instead of looking back to the neoclassical area and, and back to classical with the, the Greeks and the Romans, it's like that never happened. The Greeks and the Romans were pretty much present the whole time. And now, you know, Rome didn't fall to the Gauls and they're, they're still there, but things have progressed in a way. So, I mean, that's, I love Roman mythology. I love Roman um, society and architecture and all that. So that sounds super exciting. Yeah. Then add in, you know, like you were saying, kind of the, the thugs of, uh, of gangsters in with R Roman soldiers, stuff like that, man. And, you know, and your magic system. So I'm going to throw right. it over to Krebs because I know he's, he's itching to jump in. Well, okay, so earlier you mentioned, I'm going to try and get this right, Demir Grappo. That's the protagonist, yes? Yes, that is him. Yes. Okay, and you also talked about like elements of classism where you have the ultra-wealthy, you have the poor, everybody scrambling for god glass. And now we're talking about factionism where we have gangsters or we have um, uh, mafias slash cartels, you know, whatever term you want to use. So with that in mind, uh, is... Uh, in this book, do you follow more than one, for lack of a better expression, main character, or is there more than one main focus? Do you end up like spending some time with Demir, but then you spend some time with some other people in a focused way? Yeah. So I, I tend to have multiple points of view in my epic fantasies and uh, this one's no exception. There's, there's four points of view. Um, Demir is the central one. I always kind of operate around a central point of view, Makes even if they don't really get more, quote unquote screen time than the others their plot line tends to be what drives everyone um and uh and demir is he is the plot line that drives everyone um uh all the other the other three uh points of view and it's um yeah so so i i i like that it's almost a cheat in a way as a writer because it allows me to jump into different people's heads and see the world from different perspectives um, rather than just kind of railroading on a single person and their perspective. As an author, how do you avoid things like obvious white hat, black hat tropes? Expand on that question. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with that expression, white hat, black hat? I, I'm, it is not. It, it comes from comes from like uh, spaghetti western slash black and white western days in film. I, I have a film background. So this oh, is like good guy, film. bad guy, good guy, bad guy, obvious. white hat, black hat. Yeah, like yeah. really, like super on the nose. Oh villains. man, I didn't even get that till you explained that. So. My no, it makes sweet. Sense. Welcome I, to my podcast, Krebs Talk. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, go ahead. I I honestly, my main I that's not something I have a problem with. I have my main characters tend to all be slightly terrible people. Um, <laughs> That's right. You mentioned that earlier. D Demir himself is uh, he has spent he's this he's basically in self exile for the last nine years. And he uh, he's spent that whole time as a as a grifter. He's like a friendly grifter. He drifts from town to town as a con man. Essentially, he fix fights for the sports. Um, he rips people off and he's very good at it because he's actually he's a failed child prodigy he's incredibly intelligent um and he uh and so yeah so we first meet him when he's fixing a cudgeling match which is the the national sport of this uh country instead of and, pugilism it's cudgelism yeah it's <laughs> yeah no, cudgeling is a real life thing that was a yeah. sport for a small period of history um which is just guys with sticks beating each other um, and so it's it's the national sport of of this world, well, of this major empire. Um, 
basically our, our, our boxing or baseball, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so Demir himself is, is that one of my characters is a, um, is what that is called a breacher and he's a heavily armored, essentially a tank for the armor, uh, for the army. Um, and he, he wears incredibly heavy armor that he carries with very powerful forge glass. Uh, and he basically rushes through and breaks the enemy lines, um, carries a massive sword and shield. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of my favorite characters. He's so cool. Uh, and then we've got, um, the only one of my characters who doesn't kill people regularly, uh, is probably Tessa. And she's, she is a magical engineer, a silicier, um, who's brilliant. And, um, and then we have uh, Kizzy Vorsian. Uh, Cassandra Vorsian is the fourth point of view. And she is literally an enforcer for one of the guild families. She's the person that is sent around to break people's legs if that needs to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I, I don't, I, I mean, lots of authors and readers talk about the, you know, shades of gray and all of that stuff. And I just all characters have that kind of spectrum of good and bad things. And I like, I like characters who aren't, aren't necessarily, um, they don't maybe like violence, but they aren't afraid of it. Um, and, and they don't, and they're not afraid of corruption and all of these other things that are, are very real parts of most of human history. Um, and you know, our own world. Uh, I like, having characters that are just able to move through that like they live in it rather than being you know ma- you know kind of magically better than everyone else around them i like uh, that a lot yeah no i like that <laughs> i mean history is fraught with people that aren't you know we can look back no one's like a shining monolith of goodness like superman uh you know uh, people are more like batman you know they're good and dark and gray and mucky and yeah so the fact that you have a female enforcer that beats the crap out of people that's awesome uh, i love that portrayed by gina carano uh so <laughs> <laughs> all right but you know what in uh, in the shadow of lightning that's the newest book that's coming out it's not out yet it's yes. coming soon yep mm-hmm. Which is, which is actually a little different for our show. I, I would say more often than half the time we have authors on after their book has launched, which is great that we have someone here like ahead of time because we get to talk about it, but we're still being protective of spoilers and all that stuff. Uh, when does In the Shadow of, of Lightning release to the masses? Uh, June 21st. And as far as I know, that is US, UK, Canada, Australia. But I I, I mean, they're for the one Australian listening. Um, I, I, I'm not going to guarantee that because I don't know if I got an answer to that question, whether it's being distributed there. But Canada, US, UK. For the record, our one Australian is James Woolley. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah. we have more now because of him. So It's possible. I think we're up to like four uh, because he has two kids. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, this is the other important part that I that I wanted to get to is this is not this is not your first book ever. You've Ooh. you're you're actually no. you've published many a book. Uh, what uh, I, I, ha- I have a few here that we talked about before the show, but uh, you've done everything from releasing through publishers to doing some self-release titles. What what are I don't know, two, two, two series that if someone wanted to really get to know your style and they wanted to get to know you as an author, what should they read? Well, really, I have, I pretty much only have two universes right now, Thir- three universes. Once this one comes out, uh, once perfect number. Yeah. It's <laughs> a great number. Um, so really what I'm basically, what I'm known for, what made my career and kind of let me quit my day job and all that junk, um, was powder mage. And that starts with promise of blood. Uh, and there's two Powder Mage trilogies that are back to back with crossover characters. Um, and, uh, and so Promise of Blood is kind of wherever anybody would want to start. And that's the beginning. And then, yeah, then there's five more novels that kind of um, they're, they're two separate trilogies, uh, two separate plot arcs with a couple of characters who have plot arcs across all six of them. Excellent. Excellent. And 
as an author, you know, the more you do this, the more refined your voice becomes or the more uh, agile you become in, in like perspective shift. Uh, if, if Promise of Blood is your first book, where in your opinion does your voice as an author really find its refinement? Oh, um, honestly, that's, that's a pretty good question. I, I would say, I would probably say Sins of Empire. That's, I mean, I could, I could flip a coin on that um, because I'm very, there's two books that I'm very proud of. Um, one of them is Crimson Campaign, which is book two of the first trilogy of Powder Mage. So it's my second book ever. Um, and, uh, and I'm very proud of that book. Uh, I, I think it's probably the strongest. It's my Empire Strike, Strikes Back. It's probably my strongest in that trilogy. Um, and, uh, and so I'm very proud of that one. But I think that probably Sins of Empire, which is book one of the second trilogy. So my book four, essentially. Um, I think that's where I really felt like I was clicking with being a novelist um it uh it had yeah yeah I, I would say that that's probably the one that i'm i'm i i feel the best about roughly speaking what is the page count of promise of blood oh man um honestly i couldn't tell you the page count i only do word counts um do you want to reach behind you and grab that copy and tell is me? Oh, there is a copy right behind me. <laughs> There's actually all but one book behind you has been mentioned so far. And I think right. the, it um, wasn't even folks at home. It was not planned. Like as we've been talking, the titles have just been coming up. Yeah. So uh, Promise of Blood is, um, so this is the hardcover. I'm not actually sure about the paperback, but the hardcover is 540 pages. Which yeah. is roughly, roughly how many words? Ooh, I think it's 162 or 165. Yeah. Nice, nice. And then uh, Sins of Empire, which I think is actually larger. Yeah, Sins of Empire is a bit longer. Um, Sins of Empire is roughly, roughly 600. Roughly 600 pages and roughly how many words? You know what? I have not looked that one up in a long time. I'm going (laughs) to guess 180. Um, No, you know what? I'm going to guess closer to 170. Because it's not that much longer than Promise of Blood. Um, this new one, uh, in the shadow of lightning, this is my longest by far. Really? Um, okay. Maybe not by far compared to guys like Brent Weeks or Brandon and yeah. people like that. But so this no, one, this I is believe... just your catalog, your catalog, yeah. right? This is my catalog. Uh, so this one is the longest and it's, I want to say two fifteen, maybe two twenty. Nice. Um, but hopefully doesn't feel like a slog (laughs) (laughs) right now i'm reading through the wheel of time with my wife and we do this by me reading to her all bedtime story like and uh, i do all the voices and stuff uh robert jordan is not is not brief in any way like uh maybe maybe tolkien has less brevity than robert jordan and that's about it so I'm um, I'm going to apologize because I'm going to talk crap about Robert Jordan briefly. Do it. And I, I say this with absolute love because Wheel of Time is kind of what started. I, there's lots of books that started my love of reading and even a few epic fantasies I read before that. But Wheel of Time is what like really solidified my love of epic love fantasy. Love Wheel of Time. Um, but man, those middle books, those are a <laughs> slog. Yay! There like, it is. Oh. Middle book syndrome. Yep, I, I call it middle book syndrome. They were they were such a slog, and and that yeah. was to sixteen year old Brian who would read anything, like yeah, like if he hadn't set up such an incredible world, I, I would have given up at like what five or something like that. Yeah, five it really drags. I still haven't gotten through five. I started the series over with my wife. We're on book two, and I am not looking forward to book five, but I am looking forward to like book nine. It's book nine is where it picks back up again, I believe. Yeah. If I'm remembering yeah. right. Well, the reason I asked about your multiple perspectives is because uh, I was thinking of Wheel of Time and the fact that Randall Thor, arguably the most important main character in the, you know, from the first book all the way to the end, um, he disappears for roughly three books. Just like he's barely, he's barely, he barely has, uh, as you put, screen time. Uh, and when he does, it's very, very brief. And then. It's just, he's not there. He's not around. Uh, an entire continent separates him from his friends and so on, right? But yeah, there's like 
about three book lengths of, the, of Robert Jordan books where Randall Thor is just uh, I'm golfing at Camp David. I don't know. He's taking a nap. He's right. taking a nap. Yeah. I, yes. I, I think, I think you may have touched on something subconscious that I never realized about myself because I'm very strict in my books. I'm, I'm not like a hundred percent strict, but pretty strict in my books that the point of views that I introduce at the beginning are the point of views that we're going to follow for the next few books. And those characters will all get roughly equal screen time. And you're not going to go for more than 20, maybe 30,000 words without seeing each person. And I always, I've known that about my own writing. I didn't realize probably until right about now that that kind (laughs) of thing that you just described is why I do it because that infuriated me as a reader. Yep. Well, and to that point, as an author, you can never predict which character becomes the beloved character of your reader. You know, yeah. there as as important as Randall Thor is in the in the universe, there are huge fans of Perrin and Matt and Egwene and Moraine and Lan. Like like there is that character that the reader resonates with or mm-hmm. wants to be like or is mortified yet completely intrigued by, right? And so you can never predict that. So I like that you take time. You give everybody as much equal time as you can so that the reader stays invested. You're feeding the reader's need to know about that person. Well, I remember in, um, in Wheel of Time, there were whole books where you hated Matt's guts. (laughs) <laughs> or or Perrin was just boring as, you know, a, a just a box of paper. You know, like there were there were whole books where character arts arcs would just kind of flop. And you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna skim this chapter. I'll get on to somebody more interesting, which, you know, and but it would like switch. It wasn't always one or always the other. It would be yeah. like, oh, suddenly Matt's awesome again. And I don't want to read anybody else, you know, like it was that kind of thing. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm very aware in my own books, um, you know, with the first Powder Mage trilogy, I kind of, I know what the kind of rough levels of love each of the three major point of views gets. And, um, but then the, like the one, the point of view that I'm pretty sure the least people glom onto, which is Automat. Um, the inspector, I have fans that if you told them that they would, you know, they'd stab you, you know, they love him there. <laughs> he is by far their favorite. And, and so, you know, it's just, everybody's going to love somebody different when you have multiple points of view like that. And I'm, I'm really hoping, I, I feel like I nailed all four points of view for the new series. And, uh, and I'm, but you know, that's one of those things I'm going to find out over the next few months as reviews come in. And then I start talking to people online once the book is out and things like that. So. I don't know. I think you did a great job in uh, the, the powder mage series, as far as point of view, that's something I always, always appreciated with your books. Um, I also appreciate the fact, cause I kind of felt like the crimson campaign was very much uh, uh, like empire strikes back vibe which is my favorite of the star wars movie and the fact that you said that i'm like sweet uh, i i did get it right um but yeah i mean as far as the point of views you you definitely put enough time into each character that you can definitely embrace one of those characters and like them because there's enough information you've walked in the shoes next to them uh so i think you did a great job and and it probably does come from that um I, we've talked about the the will of time middle book syndrome issue multiple times on the show because yes we have that just frustrated me more than anything and it's it's something i kind of coined i'm like nah especially with long series do they suffer from middle book syndrome because it's there's nothing more frustrating than getting invested and you're on this grand adventure and then it just kind of lags and then you got to drag yourself through those books to finally get to a point like oh wow i love this again so, well, and you do a good job of, of avoiding that as well. I, I think that it is a weird double-edged sword um, because I think that one of the reasons that some of these massive series that get bloated and that, you know, even the big fans will admit, oh, it flags here and there. Um, you know, like 
I think that one of the advantages those series has is that the author um, very clearly stops to love the world and, and the plot slows to a grind, but like the world building keeps going and it keeps getting deeper and deeper and more interesting. And even while the, the reader is kind of yawning a little bit and maybe doing some skimming, they're still absorbing all this information about the world that they're occupied uh, in. And, and I, I think that that's maybe something that I, I kind of wish that I did a little bit more that I, that I was able to slow down and, and dig my teeth into world building. But, but honestly, I, I don't feel like I get a lot of opportunity because I'm very, I'm kind of obsessed with keeping my plots moving quickly, you know, just again, keep everything moving. And, uh, and, and so it's a double-edged sword for me as an author, because I, I'm like, oh, I, I want to dig deeper into this world. I want to take a scene and I want to explore X, Y, and Z. And I'll write that scene and I'll go, wow, this is boring as crap. This is getting <laughs> cut immediately. And, and so with, all, with all, all of the points of view, I'm, I'm always, I feel like some authors are able to take a point of view when they're doing these multiple point of view books. They're able to point of view, take a point of view and say, this guy he's going to be boring for, you know, the next, you know, most of his screen time, this book, you know, the, that's like a, I don't, maybe it's a conscious decision. Maybe it's not. Um, but they're, they're going to take this character and they're going to put them over there and do something different with them that is slower or more introspective or something like that. And, and I've never been able to do that. And like I said, I think there is an advantage to doing it because you are able to dig into the world building um, but, but I, I just, every one of my plot lines needs to be moving continuously. And I, um, and it, it's, it feels a little, it feels great because I feel like my plotting improves from book to book. And I think I keep doing better. Um, but, uh, I, I think I'd maybe suffer in the epic fantasy depth sometimes. Well, and, and that particular body of literary water is not for everybody, right? Like the, there's a reason why there is a, there are myriad genres because not everybody belongs in that open water, but uh, your the world that you've described to me, I'll, I'll a hundred percent admit I have not read any Brian McClellan books before, um, but the yeah. worlds that you've described to me are absolutely and utterly intriguing. Uh and and on top of that, like I, I'm I'm going through some of some of our notes here, but like on top of that, like you not only have the Powder Mage series and you and and the uh, In the Shadow of Lightning. Uh, what's the what's the name for the overarching series for In the Shadow of Lightning? It's Glass Immortals. Glass Immortals. Glass. Oh, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you also have a series of self-published books. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that series, just really quick. So that is my um, Valkyrie collection series. Um, it is, it's only two books right now. Uh, I, I kind of had to put that on stop when I got the new contract for this uh, Epic Fantasy because uh, my Epic Fantasy pays me a lot better than my uh, self-published Urban Fantasy does. Um, but so Valkyrie Collections is uh, two books. It's Uncanny Collateral and Blood Tally. And it's a little world uh, that is, it's a, um, it's an alternate Earth uh, in which uh, we follow a main character who is a collection agent for the supernatural. Um, if a uh, if death makes a deal with somebody for, for their soul, then death isn't going to go collect on his own. That's not he doesn't have the time for that. There's crap. a collection gonna, service for that. Right. He's not going to chase them down to Omaha and kick in their door. <laughs> that's that's what our hero is for. And so we've got, it's again, this is a little bit of a shade of gray kind of character because he's literally works for a collection agency. It's, you know, some of the most despised people in the world. Um, and uh, he works out of Cleveland, Ohio, which is my hometown. I really <laughs> wanted to set something where I grew up. Um, and so he, uh, he's a collection agent in modern day Cleveland, Ohio who just, he hunts down things for his supernatural clients, you know, vampires, fairies, you know, anybody. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's fun. It's very quick. The, the books are not long. I think book one is 45,000 words and book two is 50, 
So, um, yeah, it's uh, and, and someday I will write more of them. Your answer actually sparked a question I don't think I've ever asked any of our authors before. If we if we had you step away momentarily from fantasy and alternate history as genres, what genre or genres would you like to try your hand at? Oh, man. Um, erotica? <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I would not actually. Uh, no, um, bold choice, Cotton. No, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna come out swinging on that one. I, I, I endorse it. I'm afraid we're gonna have to go with your first answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, choice, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not sure. So if if you took out, I, if you took out what I've already written, mm -hmm. um, what would I want to write? I mean, maybe the problem is, is that the, a lot of the books that I, I would be interested in writing require huge amounts of research to write them well. Of course. And I'm, I don't like research. Um, everything I do is stuff that I can either get on Wikipedia or is already in my head. Um, and, uh, but if I, if I was a better researcher, maybe like spy thrillers, like real life spy thrillers, um, murder mysteries, real life murder mysteries, you know, like there's, there's certain genres that kind of have remained in the public zeitgeist, even long after their heyday, like, like kind of noir stuff, you know, mm -hmm. that would be so much fun to play in. Um, but again, you, like you'd have to research the time period that it takes place in because it's real world. Um, you'd have to research the, the type of people that you're actually trying to portray, I, I don't have I don't have the energy for that kind of stuff. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, we are getting toward the end of our time together, but just as a recap, there is the Powder Mage series, which is already how many books are in that? You you mentioned two trilogies, is that correct? Yes, six books and a bunch of novellas. And you can also play the role playing game. Oh yeah, and a role playing game too. Wait, what? Yep. You didn't lead with that? <laughs> so, Brian, I just Do I, you not I, know anything about dungeon crawlers? <laughs> this is, oh, hang on, let me just let me just rewind this for a second. Hey, Brian McClellan, famous author who also has an RPG. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this game? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so the RPG is um it's it's a, a, a little thing I threw uh, together with um, with an RPG developer named uh, Alan Barr. Um, we did that, gosh, what it would have been four or five years now ago, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's a um, man. I the the reason I don't talk about it is because I always forget the sales pitch for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so it's a. Well, what is it based around? It's so, I mean, it's based around the powder mage world. Yeah. Okay. Um, and essentially uh, the way I look at it is a, it is a in-depth guide to the powder mage world that lets people play within the universe if they'd like it. That's what an RPG is. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but it's comes for me personally, it's a different angle because I write the books as like a job. Mm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so that's, it's based around the powder mage world. Um, I believe if I'm remembering right, I wrote it from the perspective that it takes place between the two trilogies. I think yeah, it says set four years after the end of the Adrian Kez wars. Yes. Uh, yes. So that would have been right between the two trilogies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it just gives kind of a, a really like, this is one of those things, like I told you before that I love, playing with political stuff but my uh but my editor is like come on man that's not what you write you write things that move quicker and are more exciting um but it kind of it, for me the rpg was this outlet to be able to dig into a whole bunch of the geopolitics of this world and to explain all of these dumb little thoughts that i'd had in my head for years um and uh and i vomited that onto the page so that all my dear readers can then play it as an rpg I like that a lot. Uh, are are you an RPG player yourself? That that's a that, that's a mixed question um, because I don't <laughs> really consider myself one. I don't. I I have a terrible memory, so I'm very bad with rules. Um, but I also like I had a D and D show on Twitch for like 
two and a half years. Oh, dang. And uh, and I, I play with my uh, some of my old high school buddies. I play over Zoom with them occasionally on, you know, in the middle of the week. And so, I, yes, I am. A, I am a player. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and I, I enjoy it a lot. But like, I always hesitate to say that because when people who are passionate about RPGs, like at all, know everything about them. And I know nothing about RPGs. I don't know systems. I don't know rule sets. I, I just, I don't have the memory for any of that stuff. And, uh, and so, you know, I know that I can dick around with my friends occasionally and pretend to be a different person. And I, I'm pretty decent with, you know, D&D 5e, um, but that's it. Like beyond that, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a novice. Do you do you recall what kind of system is behind your RPG? Oh, I, I was really hoping D20 you were going to ask that. It's Savage Worlds. Thank Savage you. Worlds. I, yeah, Savage I have it in front of me. Yeah. The whole time I was talking, I was trying to remember. Savage Worlds. That is a system that a friend tried to get me into like over 10 years ago. I never got a chance to really play it. I was just looking through it. Savage Worlds would later on team up with a little RPG company you may have heard of called Palladium, and they made a Rifts. They made a Savage World Rifts uh, edition, which I thought was really cool. And now we've got Savage Worlds Powder Mage. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty legit. That's pretty fantastic. It is not a, It is not an unknown system. Like, that is a great yeah. system. Yeah. Alan, uh, that does Gallant Knight games that he teamed up with, is a really good game designer. Uh, he did Howard Taylor's Schlock Mercenary. He also did uh, Larry Correa's Monster Hunter in, oh. in Savage Worlds as well. So um, the guy knows his stuff. Well, and I, like I said, I, I like I, that was his job. Like I didn't know any of it. Um, and so, you know, his, his job was to do the conversion and make it work. And, uh, and he did a great job on it. Well, just as a reminder to folks in the sh- I'm sorry, <clears throat> in the shadow of lightning is released J- June 21st this year, 2022. But you can also get any of the six Powder Mage books as they are already out. And there is also the Val- the Valkyrie collections, uh, which includes Blood Tally and Uncanny Collateral. Correct. Wow. And okay, can- got it. Ooh. And you can pick up a copy of the Powder Mage role playing game system on uh drive through rpg indeed and yeah. i think i still have some physical copies on my website actually <laughs> oh, yeah. oh what's your website brian's website yeah i mean I, I sell signed books from my website so if you want if you like signed books you can just go there it's brianmcclellan.com and uh I th- i'm only shipping in the u.s right now because international shipping is a giant pain um but uh but yeah that's um if you're if you're a mega fan or if you just like signed things get it there Yes, that is the awesome. sign things are awesome. All right. Well, Daniel, you know are what we happens Are we still doing next. the lightning round? Oh, we're definitely doing the lightning round. All right. We have to do the lightning round. Brian, there is a lightning round at the end of our show where mm. basically I just ask you a series of mostly random questions. And what I want from you is just off the top of your head answers. You don't have to think about it too much. Just what I'm going to ask a question. You're going to respond. End of story. Sound good? Sound like my therapist. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Question number one. Tell me about your relationship with your mother. No, all right. So it's right. wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mrs. McClellan is a saint. <laughs> I love this edible complex. What about Let's your... dig into this. All right. Go ahead. Um, okay, so are you good for a lightning round? Yeah. All right, fantastic. Here we go. What is your favorite color? Dark green. What's your favorite genre of music? classic rock do you prefer spotify or pandora spotify do you use google chrome or firefox google chrome and finally what is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film crawl i don't think i've ever seen it there we go we got someone else to invite to the party that's it right there wow wow wow. that was see whenever we have guests that have never actually seen the movie it ends up being like a total like like softball question, right? Like it's it's not it's not that hard because I've never seen it. I don't know. And so what we're gonna do is uh, this summer or potentially next summer, because next summer is the 40th anniversary of that film. Holy crap! Uh, we are putting together a watch party, 
and we are inviting several, many of our guests that have been on the show and expressed interest. Would you be interested in joining us for a Kroll watch party? I I don't know how off my <laughs> rocker I'd have to be to watch Kroll. Whoa! Wait, how do you have how do you have such a strong opinion about a movie you've never seen? Because I know the genre, like oh. Like, do you? If you want a serious discussion, ask me about Conan the Barbarian. Oh, that's, yeah. that's a different talk. We should do that, though. We should have we that should. conversation. That sounds yeah, really good. Be, we should invite good. Mike Haspel on the show because he would love to weigh in on that. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, at this point, with as many people as you keep inviting, we're gonna have to rent out a park and get like a <laughs> an inflatable screen. You're right. That should be our next Kickstarter. Yes. Anyways, so uh, thanks. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, I'm excited for for this one. I love the the Powder Mage. Um, I have those. I'm excited to pick up this one. Uh, you're right. That that period of time is just so rich and vibrant, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. You know. And again, throw in the Roman Empire, which I love just as much. Uh, this just has the making for everything awesome. So. Listeners, go out, buy a copy. Let's let's buy as many copies as we can so that Brian can have that cool little moniker of New York Times bestselling author. That would be awfully nice. I have not that gotten would, that yet. That would be awesome. And then he can go over to Brandon and say, look, I got one too. <laughs> um, but, you know, go out, pick this up. You won't regret it. Brian does a great job uh, with his pacing, with his characters. It's a very vibrant world that you'll fall in love with uh even with its dark and grittiness uh in there so um i tend to pick up a copy Krebs probably going to pick up a copy as well absolutely um we may have to throw one at alton because he's not here but that's okay um actual alton not depicted yes so uh thanks again for coming on thanks for uh giving us all the insight you had about this book as well as with writing and other aspects and your, you know, the fact that you're not really wanting to watch, uh, crawl. Yeah. We're still friends, but you hurt my feelings, Brian. You guys yep. seem so disappointed. <laughs> nope. Just one, just one disappointed guy with a yep. really loud microphone. Those crabs. So with that dungeon crawlers, we're out of here. And crawlers tell your story, whatever may come. And whether you are a flintlock hardcore fan or you just love the power of god glass always remember to be epic and don't suck remember the force will be with you always